Welcome to the Lee Company Reclaimed Podcast. I am one of your chaplains at Lee Company, Kyle Froman, and I am thankful that you took an opportunity to listen along with us again this week as we continue in the book of John. As we did last week, I want to start with just reading the passage of Scripture that we're going to be looking at today. And we're picking up in John 1, verses 19 through 28. And this is the testimony of John. When the Jews sent priests and Levites from Jerusalem to ask him, Who are you? He confessed, and he did not deny. But he confessed, I am not the Christ. And they asked him, What then? Are you Elijah? He said, I am not. Are you the prophet? And he answered, No. So they said to him, Who are you? We need to give an answer to those who sent us. What do you say about yourself? He said, I'm the voice of one crying out in the wilderness. Make straight the way of the Lord, as the prophet Isaiah said. Now, they'd been sent from the Pharisees. They asked him, Then why are you baptizing if you're neither the Christ, nor Elijah, nor the prophet? And John answered them, I baptize with water, but among you stands one you do not know. Even he who comes after me, the strap of whose sandal I am not worthy to untie. These things took place in Bethany across the Jordan where John was baptizing. Now, before I get into this, I want to set up a little bit of context for you of what we're going to be talking about today. The beauty with any passage of Scripture is that as we read through it, it can come alive in so many different ways. And there's really many messages we could share, but I want to set the context of where we're going with it today. Of the hundreds of flights that I've been on over the years, one particular flight sticks out to me more than any other flight that I've been on. It was an early Monday morning flight on November 20th of 2017. It was from Miami International Airport back to Nashville International Airport here in Nashville. Now that this flight sticks out, it really says a lot about this flight because I've had some, let's just call them memorable flights in the past. I remember one particular flight when my wife and I were traveling back from a visit to Disney uh, when she was pregnant with Micah, our oldest son. And as we were flying back into Nashville, we had a layover. I think it was in Louisville. Uh, it might have been Huntsville, or I guess it could have been Detroit for all I remember. But nonetheless, we had a layover. And as we were on our initial descent and started to move down towards the runway, pretty abruptly, the pilot decided to pull the plane back into a full ascent, back up into the sky. This really caught our attention because that is not a normal landing path nor procedure, and we found ourselves back up in the air circling the runway below. At first, we didn't think a lot about it, uh, but the longer we were circling in the air, the more we began to question what was going on. A couple of minutes turned to 10 minutes, turned to 20 minutes, turned to 30 minutes, and eventually the captain came over the PA system. Uh, ladies and gentlemen, we have a small problem. Our front landing gear is not retracting like it should. Now, to me, landing gear not coming down, that's a major problem. He said, that's okay, though. We're speaking with mechanics on the ground, and they're sharing with us a means to lower the front gear manually 
from the cabin. So we continued to circle over the airport until finally the captain came back on and shared with us that we were getting a little low on fuel, but that that's okay because they've got the front gear down now. Or so they thought, because they couldn't visually inspect to make sure the landing gear was actually down. Due to the cloud cover that day, the tower couldn't see the plane either to spot if the gear was down or not. So they shared with us that as we came in for our descent and broke through the clouds, the tower would then confirm if the landing gear was down or if it wasn't down, and they would make a decision what to do at that point. He told us not to be concerned, but as we approached the runway, he said the two parallel runways would be filled with emergency equipment, just in case. You can tell me not to be concerned all you want in that situation. I will, in turn, be very concerned. I'll go ahead and fast forward for you and tell you the end of the story, and you're listening to me so you know how the story ended. We landed and all was well. So now I know you're wondering, what flight could be more memorable than that? What was significant about this flight on November 20th, 2017. Let me just tell you, don't get your hopes too high, it was not that extravagant. But it is a flight that I hope I never forget. Why do I say that? It's because I learned something significant about myself that morning that I've been weeding out ever since. What was it that I learned? I learned that deep within the recesses of my soul, I had allowed my identity to become a bit skewed. I realized that I kind of enjoyed the spotlight. You see, that morning, as I settled into my seat aboard my Delta flight home, I was reflecting upon my final weekend as a chaplain in the NASCAR industry. For the past 14 years, our family had been investing in motorsport families around the country. I'd started as a volunteer chaplain serving here in Nashville. I then began to travel regionally with semi-professional racers throughout the Southeast. And now I was wrapping up my third year serving the professional NASCAR community and their families. And as I sat watching others board the flight around me, with 14 years of experiences and memories washing through my mind, the one thought that settled right at the forefront of them all was this. Now, what am I going to tell people I'd do if they ask me on this plane? Seriously, over 14 years of serving others, of watching God do amazing things, of watching lives changed, hope imparted, addiction overcome, the thing that got to me was that, what am I going to tell people that I do? You see, alongside my role as chaplain, I was also training and leading a team of volunteer chaplains who were serving amateur and semi-professional racers around the country. And one of the themes I continued to proclaim to them was to protect your identity. Because this industry can pollute identity in a hurry. It was a sincere heart cry, and I truly felt that I was doing a good job of protecting my own identity within the industry I was a part of. Yet, Somewhere along the way, my identity got skewed. I allowed the attention, the celebrity, the focus, the appeal, the coolness, I allowed it all to slip in and skew my perception of who I was, and I didn't even recognize it. You see, my entire childhood was spent a bit in the shadows of an amazingly athletic brother, 
And I don't fault him for that at all. He was amazing at what he did. It was truly remarkable what he accomplished. But I was in a bit of a spotlight as his little brother, and I didn't have much of a spotlight of my own. So now I had finally found the spotlight myself, and it felt kind of good. I had pride in my profession. It was uh, something that I'd worked towards and something people really wanted to talk about. And now it was gone. And in that moment, I realized I had lost track of who I really was. The story I was living out for God had become a bit skewed along the way. It had become a little bit of Kyle's story. I tried to sneak into the limelight of where I should have truly been pointing the attention and the focus of others. But as we're about to see in John, that's not how we handle the mission God puts in front of us. So let's jump back to John now, and I want us to look at this in two parts. One is a few verses that we seemingly breezed through in our last time together, and then we're going to get back up to speed with where we're at this week. So I want to start with John 1, 6 through 8. It says there was a man sent from God whose name was John. He came as a witness to bear witness about the light that all might believe through him. He was not the light, but he came to bear witness about the light. So why is this verse significant? Coming out of verses 1 through 5, we saw the beauty of the brilliance of Jesus, of God in our world, a light that conquers and overcomes darkness, a light that permeates everything around us. And the thing about that kind of a light If you're in a room and I flip on the light switch, I don't need someone to tell you the light is on. You're able to see that the light is on. But this light, this light that came into our world, this light that John is bearing witness about, this light needed a torch. It needed an outlet to burn in our world. It needed a witness to it. So God sent a man to be that witness to the light. God used his creation God used a man to testify to it. God used man to fulfill his mission. God uses us to fulfill his mission. In John 20, 21, Jesus reminded us that as God sent him, so is he sending us into the world to be that witness to the light. We are a part of that mission. We are that witness of that light. So the question then becomes, how do we steward that role? in that responsibility. And that puts us in the main text for today. And in John 1, 19, we see that this was the testimony of John, that when the Levites and the priests came to him and they said, who are you? He said, I'm not the Christ. And when they said, well, then are you Elijah? He said, I'm not. Well, are you a prophet? No. Then who are you? Now I want you to consider this. God had appointed John to be the precursor, the witness to Jesus. John, singled out to be the man before the man. Then he was going to baptize the man. If that's not greatness by association, I really don't know what is. I mean, what if Bill Gates singled you out? He pulled you out of the crowd and he said, Listen, I've got something I want to accomplish here, and you are going to be my guy going to send you out on my appointment to carry this mission forward. 
Don't you think you would have a bit of pride associated with that? Don't you think you'd be sure that people knew exactly who you were? I mean, I saw it all the time in professional sports. People leveraging relationships to position themselves more highly. You saw it within managers and within personnel. It was all of this attachment. Everyone had a story to one-up the other. I met DW. Oh yeah, well I met Junior. It could go on and on and on, and it's a game that really never ends. And when you look at someone who had an opportunity and an ability to position himself with greatness, it would be the man that God singled out to be the man. So that's why John's response when the priests and the Levites inquired of him was so striking to me. Before anything else, John was brilliantly clear with who he was not in the story. I am not the Christ. I am not Elijah. I am not a prophet. I'm none of these things. He didn't answer, I'm not Christ, but God, he, he picked me out and sent me. God put me on this mission, you know. He just said, I am not. He knew this story wasn't his story. He knew he was not the light. He didn't want to be the spotlight because he knew he couldn't carry the spotlight. It wasn't him, and it wasn't his role. He was equally as clear with who he was. He was a voice. He was a testifier of another story that was so much greater than his. John's role and purpose in this story was as a witness. You see, we're all called to be his witness. It is a necessity. But in doing that, it's not ourselves that we're witnessing about. We aren't to pull attention to ourselves from God. I am not Jesus. I don't make a very good Jesus. So why would I want people to gravitate towards me when I can use my life and story to push them to the one that they should gravitate towards? See, it's easy to be pulled into the love and the praise of men to find our identity within that. But it's so important for us to remember who we're testifying of. Last week, when I got on the Twitter, I looked at my profile that was on there, the little statement of who I am, and it said follower of Christ, husband, father, Lee Company chaplain, chaplain's collective co-founder, and then it said former NASCAR chaplain. Now, back in my day, I made a pretty mean cashier for service merchandise. And the hotel that I worked at Sleep In, I did a pretty magnificent job running that hotel. I was a youth pastor. I was a children's pastor. I did data entry. And my profile didn't allude to any of those things. It didn't say former cashier or former data entry clerk or former assistant manager. But for some reason, I saw fit to leave former NASCAR chaplain in there. And I think it's because, again, within us, we have this desire to be attached to something greater, to find our identity in something so much bigger than we are, to seek the praise, to steal the spotlight of the story. But the spotlight isn't ours to steal. We aren't building our own kingdoms out here. We're building God's kingdom. And our desire to draw people to us, to amass our own following, is only hindering the ability to connect people to Jesus, to grow his following, to point people to him. And we all have this desire to step into the spotlight. And 
John provokes me. It reminds me. It encourages me that it might be my story, but it's my story for his glory. Yes, I am a former NASCAR chaplain, and I can't hide that and run from it, nor would I want to, nor would I want to run from being a former cashier or a former data entry clerk. But what I can't do is use those things to put the focus and attention on me. They can't be about my gain, about my leverage, about my posture, about where I'm at. And as a human, it's something I continually have to wrestle with. And if you're anything like me, you'll wrestle with it as well. But the encouragement and the joy in the story is that, yes, it is our story, but it's all for his glory, that we are his witnesses, and we should use these platforms and these opportunities and these positions we have to not attach more people to us, but to do like John did and point more people to him. As we'll see in the weeks ahead, yes, John had disciples that followed him. He had people come to be baptized by him. But at the end of the day, he was pointing towards Jesus, and he was encouraging people, hey, don't follow me, follow him. This is the one. This is the way, the truth, and the life. John's message was different. It wasn't about himself. It had a level of humility, yet ownership in it. He recognized his role. He didn't shy from it. Yet he walked in the humility of, this is not me. I am not the Christ. I'm pointing to the Christ. So anything I can do to further point to him is fulfilling my mission greater. So that would be my challenge to you in the week ahead, that you would recognize it is your story, but it's for his glory, and that we wouldn't try to attach people to us as the Christ, but that we would use our stories to point towards him as the Christ. We are the outlet of his light in this dark world. And I help no one by pointing people to me, but I bring life, hope, and truth to multitudes by pointing people to him. So may we live our stories well. May we be a positive reflection of him to others. And may we always keep the spotlight focused where the spotlight should be focused which is on Jesus, which is on God, which is on his salvation and his savings works for each of us. So this week, I encourage you to go and shine bright, to illuminate him, but to be sure the spotlight stays on the center stage where it should be. Our story for his glory. Thanks again for sharing your time with us this week. We look forward to being back together on March 9th. If you are around in Wallace Place, we meet at 11.15 and 12.15 in Training Room A. And if not, the podcast will be out shortly thereafter. Uh, next time, Chaplain Jeff Myers is going to be sharing with us from John 1.29 to 42 as we continue on this journey through the Gospel of John. Hope you have a great week. Know that we are always available and accessible to you if we can ever be of assistance in any way. 